message this morning comes from the eighth chapter of uh, the letter of, of Paul to the Romans, uh, starting with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good way of thinking of this passage, I think, um, is if God is with us, who can be against us, right? That's, that's sort of the take-home message here. So let's, let's delve into this a little bit more. Um, verse 31 starts off with saying, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what's, what's the reference there? What then shall we say? What is he talking about? And he's actually, uh, Paul in his letters, referring to all the prior uh, uh, verses in the book of Romans. But in particular, uh, he's talking about um, verses uh, 26 leading up to where I just started in, in 31. So let me uh, read through. Uh, 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, let's back up then to verse 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. God knows uh, that we are imperfect and that we struggle. And sometimes we, we're clueless about the nature of our struggles and what we're really fighting and we're blind to the challenges that we actually have. And uh, frequently, 
uh, although we pray, we don't really know what to pray for because we don't have really a good sense of the challenges that we face in our life. But God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, though, knows our hearts. And he intercedes for us and prays for us. So that way, um, uh, the things that need to happen in our lives uh, to conform ourselves to Christ happen. God knows our needs even if, if, even if we don't. And the Spirit is interceding for us. So we got the Spirit on our side. God's for us. Who can be against us? Beyond that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I always found this uh, particular section sort of tough. It sounds real good, but think of all the kinds of things that, that we experience. Um, we have blessings, right? Good things can happen. Uh, triumphs, where we're successful in, in this endeavor or that. Uh, we can also have disappointments of one kind or another, or misfortunes. And sometimes there are tragedies and disasters. And so one wonders then, how can God turn a disaster or a tragedy uh, into something that works for our good? Well, uh, let's consider just a couple of ways. Um, sometimes disasters can happen in such a way uh, as to uh, give us a, a, a reality check about who we are or how, you know, and the need for our change. I'll just give um, a brief example. Uh, many years ago, uh, there was a man named uh, Chuck Colson who was a very, very senior uh, person in the Nixon administration, and he was a nasty guy. He would turn in his own mother, he bragged, uh, to advance uh, Nixon's agenda. And so, well, what happened to, to uh, Chuck Colson? He uh, wound up, after the collapse of the Nixon administration, being convicted and going to jail. And so he was faced with uh, his sinfulness, his hubris, his pride, and that um, he did not have it in himself, his, his own strength, to really uh, control things. And so he was made to be humble by the circumstance in order to um, uh, become conformed to God's will. And ultimately, uh, Chuck Colson became an outstanding Christian who wrote um, a number of books that have a lot of wisdom in them in terms of what Christianity is about and how to serve God. So that's one example. Sometimes disaster strikes uh, on account of evil intent. And here I'll use a biblical example. Uh, you all have probably have heard the story of Joseph and his brothers, right? Joseph was this, uh, the favorite of his father, um, Jacob. 
and he was proud and he sort of showed it off and, and this irked his brothers to no end. Now, has anyone here ever been jealous of a favored brother or sister? Well, what can I say? <laughs> so, uh, what did uh, Joseph's brothers do but throw Joseph in a well? They wanted him out of the family. They wanted him no longer to be distracted. And um, uh, as a consequence, as it turned out, uh, Joseph, uh, through God's grace, winds up um, becoming number two in uh, the court of Pharaoh in Egypt. And it's through um, Joseph, God worked the salvation of his family. And the time came where Joseph um, confronted uh, his brothers who were trembling in their shoes or their sandals because they knew what they had done to him. And now Joseph had all the power. And uh, Joseph replied to that, well, you know, uh, you meant it for evil, but uh, God turned it to good, right? God meant it for good. And as a consequence, the people in Egypt were saved from famine. So that's another instance in which uh, something that was actually evil turned to God's uh, good. Now, here I want to point out, just as, as a parenthetical say, that God is not the author of evil, right? People, uh, as they are in their sinful nature and through the conniving of, of, the, of uh, Satan, perform evil. But, even, but then, even God can use that evil and turn it into good. There are times uh, also uh, when disasters can strike where there's really no evil intent. So as an ex you know, hurricanes happen. I mean, if, if you take, you know, if you listen to the news about what's been going on in the Midwest with the floods and the and uh, the rain and in uh, California with all the fires and all the uh, homes that are destroyed and the lives that are lost, um, one's tempted to think or ask the question, uh, how can God allow something like that to happen, those things to happen? And uh, I don't have an answer for that. God knows, uh, even when we don't. But nonetheless, when those kinds of disasters happen, or disasters even within the family, the worst disaster I can think of is um, the loss of a child, right? That's terrible. How can that um, work to good of those who are called according to his purpose? What it can, just one way, one way, and I, I don't pretend to know every way, but in one way it can work is it can show us as individuals that we are not in control. There are times when things happen and we need to turn to God who is in control, 
and uh, become closer to him. And through that tragedy, uh, we can be drawn closer to God and uh, be called according to his purpose. So those are just a few examples. And then sometimes there are things that are a little more neutral. I'll just give a very brief example. When uh, after Kathy and I were married, uh, maybe this was around 75, 1975. Boy, we're, I'm getting old. She stays. She doesn't get old. But um, this was sort of the end of the hippie era, right? And we were living in Staten Island, which is a borough of New York, and, and uh, we were doing wild and crazy things. And uh, we joined a food, a food commune and uh, a, co a food co-op. It was a commune. It was, and so a couple of, uh, couple of uh, people came in who were uh, Christians, and, and uh, Kathy and I had been going to church, as, as, and, and we thought we knew a little bit about Christianity, and we were uh, uh, sort of brought into, some might say suckered into, joining uh, a cult called the Forever Family, and it had all the classic criteria of a cult. It had a charismatic leader. Uh, it turned young people against their parents, separated them from families. Um, it reached the point where they were looking to, for us to give them our car and uh, really subsume us. And uh, we saw the light and tried to get away, but they kept on calling us and harassing us and uh, making our life really unbearable. And just about the same time, uh, Kathy finished college, and she found uh, a great job for her uh, in Maine, which was 400 miles away from where this cult was. And so we wound up moving to Maine, and one might wonder, well, how did that turn to good? And uh, the answer is that um, it's while we were in Maine, uh, we became members of an evangelical church that took the faith uh, very seriously and was very biblical and it was through that church that uh, Kathy and I became more fully committed to the faith and were increasingly conformed conforming ourselves to the model that Christ calls us to be so <clears throat> what then if, if we go back to the verse Uh, the second part of the verse, for those who are called, God does uh, turns all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what is God's purpose then for his people? And it says to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be Christ's brothers and sisters. So looking at verse 29, for those, whom, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's what our purpose is, is to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, what does that mean? How uh, is being conformed to the image of Christ 
expressed in our lives. And let me suggest it's expressed two ways. Like Christ, we're in loving obedience to God, right? And that's expressed in, um, as far as we can, leading a godly life, honoring God out of love. Second, what that means is uh, conforming ourselves means having sacrificial love for our neighbors. Well, what does that mean? Well, Christ had sacrificial love for the people. He sacrificed himself on the cross, in fact, to save us. So how do we conform ourselves to that standard? Well, I, I think an obvious way is uh, for all of you who are parents here, uh, parenting is both loving, but it's certainly sacrificial as well. It's doing, sacrificial love is uh, taking some time and taking some effort and taking some energy to help those who need help, right? So, uh, you know, you could almost take a look at uh, the work in, in Guatemala. I mean, what are they doing there? That is sacrificial love for their neighbors. And so we are being called then to God's purpose. And what our purpose then is to um, uh, conform ourselves to the image of his son in order that we might be Christ's brothers and sisters. And so in that way, become closer and closer to Christ. Now comes uh, in the next verse, uh, something that's frequently debated in theological surf, uh, cir uh, circles. For those whom he foreknew, um, he also predestined. Right? So what that means then is before we were born, at the beginning of the world, before the beginning of the world, God chose his people. Now, and uh, we here in his church are, are uh, his people, part of God's elect. Shouldn't we be proud? Aren't we special? Are we special? Are we better than those other people? No, right? It's not because of anything that we've done, but God's sovereign choice. Well, what, what caused God to choose me and not my next-door neighbor or someone else. Uh, God knows I don't. But nonetheless, if he chose us then, according to his purpose, uh, he called us. You know, and we talked about this the last time I was um, giving a message in that, uh, remember, we had hearts of stone. And God turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh through the work of the Holy Spirit. And through that, he calls us to be his own, effectually. We are effectually drawn to him. And those whom he called, he justified. Well, what does that mean? Justification is... Um, uh, making a legal decision on the part of God that we are blameless. How can we be blameless? Through faith, Christ has uh, taken upon himself on the cross 
the penalty for our sin. And likewise, his righteousness is credited to us. So as a consequence, we have the righteousness of Christ and we are justified in that way and our relationship with God can be restored. Beyond that, we're not just predestined, called, justified, but we're also glorified. Now, the thing that's interesting about this verse is the word glorified there is in the past tense, right? Maybe I don't feel glorified right now, but remember that God uh, really is, exists beyond time. He is in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future, all at the same time. And according to God's plan, our glorification is a done deal. Okay? So right now we feel like we're working toward it, but in God's eye, it's already accomplished. And, and what is uh, glorification? Glorification, essentially, is... Um, reaching perfection in terms of being um, conformed to the image of Christ. When we're conformed to the image of, image of Christ perfectly, we are glorified because Christ is glorified. So given all of that, now that's a long introduction, right? Uh, Going back to the theme here, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so in verse 31, where Paul writes, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Based on everything I've just been talking about, God called us, God predestined us, God justified us, God has glorified us. And uh, to that extent, did that cost God something to do all those things? Sure did. Verse 32, if God, meaning he, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Our uh, call and our justification cost uh, God something in terms of the sacrifice of his son. Huge commitment there. If God is doing that, who then shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God says that um, we are his, it doesn't matter what anyone else might say, you know, pointing a finger saying, you're a sinner, you're bad. God says we're not, end of story, we're not. And because of uh, the work of Christ and the work of God, God will give us as his children all the things that we need. Who can condemn us? If God is for us, no one can be against us. Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. To the extent that Christ rose from the dead, 
that signals then that we will rise with him as well. Christ is at the right hand of God in a position of authority. And Christ is interceding for us. So we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. We have Christ interceding for us. We're in a very good place. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do Christians uh, undergo persecution? Sure they do. Do they uh, undergo hardships? Sure they do. Are they held in contempt by uh, others? Yes, we are, right? Then how can we persevere? You know, sometimes I'm reminded of uh, famous people, or you may know people who at one point uh, claimed to be followers of Christ, but then they just sort of fall away. And you wonder, well, how can they be persevering if on the one hand they claim to be Christian, but then on the other hand they give up the faith? And uh, I turn back here a little bit to Matthew, where Christ has the parable of the sower. And if you consider verse 20 of chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, as for what was uh, sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He has no root in himself. What that means then, I believe, is that there are people, for whatever reason, uh, claim to be Christian and strive on their own as best they can uh, to follow, but to the extent that uh, the Spirit has not indwelled them, they don't have the power on their own to stand up against all the trials and the tribulations that uh, uh, Christians have to go through. And so without the Spirit of God working in us and without Christ interceding for us, cannot sustain. So you sort of claim Christ for a while and then you just sort of fall away. I, I think the one uh, famous character I'm reminded of, here again, I'm, I'm uh, confessing my age and, and the things I, I used to follow. Back in my day, well, I'm using that more and more. Back in my day, one of the uh, most famous uh, performers, musicians, uh, very talented, recently won the Nobel Prize for Literature, uh, Bob Dylan, right? He went through a phase where he claimed to be Christian, and he put out a couple of Christian animals, uh, Christian animals, <laughs> Christian uh, albums, thank you. Back in my day, I didn't make those mistakes, right? <laughs> 
put out a few Christian uh, albums, and then he um, just let it go away, you know, and, and he viewed himself as, as post-Christian. And I think that's evidence then that um, uh, he didn't have the spirit of Christ dwelling in him because ultimately then he would come back. Now, I want to make a uh, little warning here. Sometimes you have situations where, you know, things happen and it makes you challenge your faith. You wonder, well, is this all really true or not? and it seems like you're falling away. You know, it's natural, I think, for Christians from time to time, depending on the circumstances, to have doubts. As an example, I told the story of how Kathy and I fled 400 miles away to get away from the cult. After we did that, uh, we probably didn't attend a church for maybe three or four years. Right? And so we lived a relatively secular life. And yet, even through that, God was working through us to draw us back. Now, maybe, in the case of Bob Dylan, the time will come where God will pull him back. You never know. And in terms of having doubts as Christians, I think that's natural. And I'm reminded of uh, Christ on the cross, right? Christ on the cross, he's being crucified, he's in, tormented, and his human nature calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if Christ can say something like that, and yet uh, triumph, when we're faced with doubt in the face of challenge, that doesn't mean that we will not continue and persevere. We'll be pulled through that, and on account of that, we'll even become more like Christ. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors. I mean, if you think in the ordinary circumstances, being faced with everything that, that faces Christians, that we must at some point fail, but we don't because of Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit interceding for us, everything that we've been talking about. And so we conquer all these challenges. More than conquer, we are triumphant through the grace of God. And because of that, through him who loved us, well, Christ loved us. God loves us. The Spirit loves us. And on account of that, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through all of that, nothing can separate us because it's God's purpose in us to draw him to himself. And through all of that, we will be more than conquerors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, Lord, that we can indeed, through the love of Christ,
be reconciled to you and become your children. And we pray, Lord, that as we face the challenges of uh, living in this world, that uh, your strength through the Spirit and through the intercession of uh, the Spirit in Christ, that we would indeed uh, be triumphant and more than conquerors, Lord, in being conformed to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.